And we're back. Hi everyone. It feels like it's been a minute, a few minutes, since I've last recorded a podcast. It's Emmanuel Ibera from the People First Economy and Good for Michigan team. We've been trying to lean more into the People First Economy side of our organization, so I'm going to start looping this in. I hope everyone's doing well. I don't know about you, but this year I've really enjoyed being out in the sun, and it's been a real treat, let me tell you. Hope you've been able to do the same, spending time outdoors, enjoying the fresh air and whatnot. All right, that's enough talk. Let's get down to business. In this episode, you'll hear a short recap with Mika Stube, our marketing director on last month's Ben & Jerry's event, and a conversation with Holly and Sign Barstow from B-Lab to talk about the benefit corporation legislation and its value to businesses. April's Ben & Jerry's event. I thought this event went really well. I enjoyed the conversation and took a number of things from the discussion. If you missed the event, we'll give a brief overview of what was covered. With me today to help with that overview is Mika Stube, the People First Economy Mark Stoub? What? Whoa. I was saying it wrong this whole time. Wow. Mika Staub, (laughs) the People First Economy Marketing Director. Mika Staub, how are you? I'm great, Emmanuel. Thanks for having me. Thanks for jumping on. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so you want to give us a brief review or overview of the Ben & Jerry's event that we hosted last month? Yeah, for sure. Um, so Dave Rappaport and uh, Melinda Yasasi came and joined us. You know, we hosted the conversation virtually. Dave was on the East Coast and Melinda obviously is here, uh, formerly of the source, currently of Grow and also a Grand Rapids City Commissioner. Um, Dave uh, joined us from Vermont, where he lives, so it was kind of cool, you know, a definite COVID plus is that everything's happening virtually, so uh, we can have out-of-towners come in and and chat with us. Um, They had a super energizing discussion about the the role that businesses can play in social and environmental advocacy. Uh, so they talked a lot about what it's like to be m- a mindful employer and in appeal to an incoming workforce. Um, and, you know, the, the incoming workforce does expect more from the company that they work for um, as far as this social and environmental advocacy work. Um, but they also talked about how companies can create actual change um, and advocate for real change in our in our world. So. Yeah, like I said, super energizing. Yeah, super cool conversation. Did you have any takeaways? Um, I know one for me specifically was how when they were talking about change and how it was not easy, nor is it comfortable, and nor is it, quote, won over a short period of time. Mm-hmm. Like change is, um, it's a process, and it takes it takes a minute to get through. Uh, but usually through a struggle, the goal, hopefully that it's not in vain and that something better is the outcome. Yeah, I yeah, that definitely was a, a takeaway for me. 
um, I, I appreciate that they called out how, while like externally, you know, we see them using their, Ben and Jerry's using their, um, their communication channels to be incredibly outspoken about social and environmental issues, um, which is sort of, I don't want to say that that's not important. That is super important. But they also talked about going um, beyond that performative activism. Um, one of the quotes that I remember uh, Dave saying is, uh, we're a group of activists that sells ice cream. So they like it, like their business kind of comes second. And I think that that is super rad. Um, they do a lot of the hard work uh, advocating for police reform, uh, climate change policy, and LGBTQ plus initiatives, um, which is that hard, long kind of trudging through the mud work. And you don't see the likes from that. You don't see the comments from that, um, but you do see, hopefully, real change from that. Um, so I hope that this is a sentiment that more companies adopt in the future. Yeah, it's important because uh, they're entities with a lot of influence and power, and they could be a force for change if they were to exercise that power and influence for whatever they believe in, living out their values. And that's not an easy thing for a lot of businesses and a lot of people who just just want to carry on like things are normal. As a business leader, you have a position and you have influence within our society for to make a change. So it's important for businesses to realize that and to carry out their values more, whatever they may be. Um, well... That's it. <laughs> um, thanks for coming on. I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. Um, uh, one last thing. For people who didn't attend, can they still see the event? Yeah, totally. So uh, we're going to be putting the information up on both the localfirst.com blog and the goodformichigan.org blog. Um, there will be links to donate. If you're on our email list, um, they've been sent out. Uh, follow the link to donate, and I think the the minimum is one dollar, but we suggest ten dollars for the time and energy that put was put into uh, hosting this conversation. Cool. Well, thanks again, Mika. Appreciate it. Thanks, Emmanuel. Alrighty, now for my last announcement. Next week is the Good for Michigan Awards Week. We'll be recognizing and celebrating certain businesses from around the state who excel in the following categories, environment, governance, community, workforce, and sustainable development goals. Each night, we'll be sharing out a short video where we'll recognize and celebrate a business for their progress and achievements in their efforts to be good stewards of the environment, having an inclusive and ethical governance system, being a good member of the community, being an excellent employer for their workforce or their dedication to the sustainable development goals. Stay tuned to find out who these businesses are and the work that they're doing that is truly good for Michigan. And now here's my conversation with Holly and Sign Barstow from B-Lab around benefit corporation legislation in the state of Michigan what it is, why we need it, and its potential to help create a more inclusive, resilient, and regenerative economy.
Hi, Holly. <laughs> I, Hello. I'm just, this is just going to be just candid, I guess. Um, <laughs> no, I, the, those are the best types of podcasts where it's yeah. just like people talking. Uh, with me today, I have Holly and Sign Barstow. Did I get it right? You did. Well, thank you. Um, the in-house expert of stakeholder governance and policy at B-Lab. How's it going over there? It's going pretty well. We're yeah. having a banner year here at, uh, um, at B-Lab. Number of certified B corporations, the number of benefit corporations has really just kind of exploded over the course of the last yeah. year. It's been really excited uh, seeing those numbers grow. Even here in Michigan, there's more and more people that we're working with who are interested in B Corp certification. And it's super exciting to see that community grow because it, I, you know, it's meaningful and it's going to change things. So Holly, would you mind giving us a bit of your background and telling us how you came to B-Lab? Sure, sure. So um my um, background is in kind of sustainability policy at the municipal level. Mm. I worked for Mayor Bloomberg when he was the mayor of New York City. Um, and I was the first employee of the mayor's office of long-term planning and sustainability. That office was focused basically on creating a uh, 2030 sustainability plan for the city that would move us towards um, you know, sustainability in a very, you know, compressed period of time. It covered climate change, it covered land use, it covered, um, you know, air quality, transportation, all areas that kind of contributed to the city's ability to grow sustainably. And while at that office, I um, was kind of intimately educated on uh, state level politics, um, uh, plan YC, which was the long-term sustainability plan that the office created, recommended congestion pricing mm. uh, for the city. And congestion pricing, which you can see in London, is essentially um, charging cars to drive into the central business district during certain periods of, of the day. Um, the idea is both to raise revenue that would be dedicated to public transportation, but also to cut down on emissions and pollution associated with traffic yeah. um, and prioritize pedestrians and alternative forms of transportation on the city streets. But unfortunately for New York City, the um, if they wanted to impose congestion pricing, it had to go through the state legislature and, and be approved by the governor. Um, and so I was part of an effort to get the state legislature to approve congestion, congestion pricing and was kind of saw how state politics worked. Um, unfortunately, um, New York State has some of the most contentious and corrupt politics in the country. Um, and so our effort on congestion pricing way back in the day was unsuccessful. Um, mm. And I saw that it was like directly unsuccessful because of one person, Shelly Silver, who is actually in jail right now. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, oh. um, he hated the, the mayor. Um, and so it basically congestion pricing failed because of that, um, that negative and, and horrible relationship. Um, but I learned a lot about the power of state legislatures and the power of policy 
through that work and that experience. And it really got me excited about um, what state governments could do and what policy could be and how mm -hmm. it could advance um, you know, sustainable, um, sustainable development goals. Um, and so, you know, I, I went to um, uh, Columbia University for a, a master's and afterwards I started looking for jobs and eventually found um, B-Lab. And I joined B-Lab originally way back in 2012, um, specifically to pass benefit corporation legislation around the country and the world. Um, and so I, I really got to focus specifically on, on kind of policy at a state legislative level and that was, man manage that process. That was your job? Like that was your, your task that you were assigned yeah. with? Yeah, I, I, you know, I worked with um, our director of policy at the time um, to basically shepherd uh, benefit corporation through state legislatures around the oh. country. Um, when, when I joined, I think we were, we had six states who had passed the legislation and, you know, depending on how you counted, now we're either at 39 or 43, depending on, mm. on kind of what you use as a rubric for, for counting benefit corp or not benefit corp. Yeah. Um, the, the progress over the remaining years has been pretty incredible. Would you mind describing what benefit corporation legislation is specifically? Sure, sure. And I, you know, I can also explain why, why B-Lab has kind of advanced this idea. Yeah. Uh, you know, when, when we first created the certification, um, one of the things we wanted to do is basically um, ensure that the social and environmental performance that, that B-Lab, that B-Corps were, um, demonstrating on um, the B impact assessment and with their kind of ability to certify didn't disappear in the future. We wanted to ensure that there was a way we could protect that commitment to mission and to purpose over time. Um, and the way that we devised to create that protection was through a legal requirement for certification. The legal requirement essentially um, changes the nature of the, the business. So it's not solely focused on, you know, short-term profit creation, but on, you know, general public benefit purpose and um, considering stakeholders and the director decision-making um, of the company. Now, when we created the, the certification, we, we had this goal of creating this legal requirement, but it quickly became apparent that um, for certain types of legal entities, making that, that type of legal commitment is actually impossible. Mm. Um, and that's because inherent in corporate law, so for C-Corps and for S-Corps that are, that are subject to corporate law, um, is this concept of shareholder primacy. Um, and shareholder primacy is basically just um, stating that the one duty of the director of the corporation is to maximize value for shareholders. And any other stakeholder, any other issue is easily forced to shut aside. Um, you know, if your shareholders don't want you to, to care about the environment, you're not going to be allowed to care about the environment. Um, and so we saw this really as a roadblock um, to mission-driven uh, mission entrepreneurs who really wanted to make a legal commitment to their stakeholders and have a purpose beyond profit. 
Um, and so we created the Benefit Corporation to basically allow corporations to opt out of shareholder primacy and opt into stakeholder governance. So essentially a benefit corporation is a traditional business corporation. It enjoys all the same protections of permissions as a traditional business corporation. Um, it's actually built on top of traditional business law. So it's basically an opt in for companies. Um, and the three main differences between a, a traditional C corp or traditional S corp and a business corp and a benefit corporation is that benefit corporations are obligated to a higher level of purpose, accountability, and transparency. Mm. So benefit corporations purpose is to create material positive impact on society and the environment. That's their general public benefit purpose. Um, their accountability um, is that they directors, in addition to considering the impact of their decisions on their shareholders, must also consider the impact of their decisions on their stakeholders. And this is really, really the big change from a traditional corporation. It's this change in accountability. Yeah. Um, because this is what allows a benefit corporation to get out of the shareholder privacy paradigm. Yeah. Um, and then on the transparency side, benefit corporations are required to report on, you know, how they have considered their stakeholders and their efforts to pursue their general public benefit purpose. Um, and, you know, it depends on what state you're looking at. But for the most part, benefit corporations are required to report to their shareholders and the public using a third party standard um, and they must report annually on that. It differs a little bit by state, but but that's yeah. the general requirement. Yeah, I could see how this legislation would be super useful to certain kinds of businesses. Um, I learned that in Michigan, uh, I think it was uh, the Ford Motor Company it's an example of where this could have been useful, uh, where Henry Ford wanted to use some of the profits that the company was making to give back to his workers and pay them more. And then the other shareholders were unhappy with that because, you know, they thought that that money was theirs and that's mm -hmm. like where the money should be going. And so they sued them or they yeah. sued Henry Ford um, and Juan stating that um, the purpose of the company is to create wealth for the shareholders and not for the people, the stakeholders involved. Um, exactly. And, and they that's took, one of the important court cases that um, established shareholder primacy and the culture and norms and laws of our country. Yeah, um, yeah. And you can see that, just that mindset, or even just like that, those, um, the mindset and the focus of profit in business that's like, number one priority here in the US. And that's something that I grew up just thinking like, oh, just a business is only made for just for money. Um, like there's is no other purpose to it. And it wasn't until I went to college and started to think about it a little more. Um, and I studied the, the degree that I studied, uh, which was sustainable business. Um, I learned that business can be so much more and like, why wouldn't it be? Yeah, <laughs> so, why not? Yeah. Business should serve, um, you know, all stakeholders, not just shareholders. Yeah, yeah. I know for people, some people here in Michigan, um, 
are confused between like what is the difference between B Corp certification and uh, the benefit corporation legislation? Um, and would you could you state the exact difference? Sure. <laughs> sure. So as I just described, a, a benefit corporation is a legal status, right? It's yeah. um, you know it's like being a professional corporation or a co-op, um, you know, it's administered by the secretary of state's office in an individual state, and it's passed into law through the state legislature. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, B-Lab, um, you know, created it. Yes, B-Lab supports its passage throughout the country. But once it's passed, B-Lab actually has nothing to do with, um, you know, the approval or creation of benefit corporations. Yeah. Um, you know, there are 10,000 benefit corporations in the U.S. and only a tiny, tiny number of those are also certified B corporations. So you can very easily be a benefit corporation and have nothing at all to do with Hmm. B-Lab. Certified B corporations, on the other hand, are for-profit entities um, that have achieved B Corp certification. And B Corp certification is administered by the nonprofit B Lab. Um, Certified B corporations have to do three things to achieve that certification. They have to demonstrate their social and environmental performance on our online tool that houses our social and environmental standards called the B Impact Assessment. And they have to be leaders in that um, performance by scoring at least 80 points on that assessment. Uh, Certified B corporations also have to be transparent about that impact by having a public profile on bcorporation.net that has information about how they reached that 80 um, score um, on the BIA. Um, Finally, all certified B corporations have to make a legal commitment to have a general public benefit purpose and to consider their stakeholders and their legal DNA. And this is, it's this last piece that causes all the confusion with benefit corporations. Um, And it's important to note that certified B corporations make that legal commitment in different ways. Um, And that's because different types of legal entities have different levels of flexibility to consider stakeholders and have this broader purpose. Um, So for example, a limited liability company in the United States has tons of flexibility because they're built on contract law. And so all they have to do to meet this, um, you know, general public benefit purpose requirement and stakeholder consideration is basically just take language that B-Lab has developed and add that into their operating agreement. so essentially, B Corps, um, the, the legal requirement for B Corps changes depending on where you're incorporated, as well as what you are incorporated as. Oh. Um, so for, for corporations, however, um, because there is not a great pathway for most corporations, because they're subject to shareholder primacy, mm-hmm. if you are a corporation and you want to become a certified B corporation, most likely your pathway to, to make, meet that legal requirement is to become a benefit corporation. So there is overlap between the population of certified B corporations and benefit corporations. 
but it's not huge. I think it's like around 600 companies in the United States. Um, a large portion of our certified B Corporation population in, in the U.S. is actually um, are actually limited liability companies. Yeah. So hopefully that that clears things up a little bit. Um, you know, benefit corporations, legal entity don't have to be certified by B Lab. Um, you know, certified B Corporations all different types of for-profit entities certified by B-Lab. Some of them might be benefit corps. Yeah. Okay. Um, have you come across any other misconceptions or arguments against this kind of legislation during your time at B-Lab? Yeah. I mean, you know, what's, what's pretty incredible about the benefit corporation legislation is that it's very bipartisan. Um, you know, we've had 90% um, approval on floor votes um, throughout the, the history of the legislation. We've had, I think it's like close to 15 states pass the legislation entirely unanimously through both their House and Senate. Oh. Um, yeah, we've had very conservative sponsors and very liberal sponsors. We had a, a sponsor in... Um, South Carolina that was a graduate of, of Bob Jones University. Um, he saw the, the benefit corporation legislation as basically the culmination of George H.W. Bush's thousand points of light initiative, essentially a way to, to take the onus for solving social and environmental problems out of the hands of government and giving it to the private sector. Yeah. So what's incredible is that it really mm. appeals to people on both sides of the yeah. aisle. Um, yeah. So we've been very lucky to, because of that bipartisan nature, nature to pass very quickly. Mm -hmm. um, I'd say some of the the um, the traditional um, opponents of the legislation, depending on on where you're located, um, can be the the bar associations, um, and I understand that concern. Um, you know, they're the they're the entities that's usually that usually oversee. Um, business law in their states. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, if B-Lab comes in, we can be seen like as a carpetbagger who's trying to change their corporate law. And I, I understand that, that perception of us. Um, but over the years, they've actually been um, more inclined to work with us uh, you know, the American Bar Association passed, uh, created its own version of benefit corporation legislation. So, um, you know, different states have have moved that forward recently. So Iowa, for example, um, the ABA version of benefit corp just passed out of their legislature and is awaiting the governor's signature. Hmm. So I, I do think that kind of the more traditional opponents are kind of coming coming over to our side. And, and this is really a no brainer. Do you have any updates with the progress done in Michigan? I don't know how closely um, aligned you are with that work, but. I, I am connected with uh, the, the offices in the legislature that are working on it. Um, I believe the bill has, the bills have yet to be reintroduced this session, but they are, yeah. they are working on that. I know they're also concurrently working to um, build a base of support of um, you know, companies, um, business organizations, and, and other, um, um, other people who can speak out in favor. Um, because you know, it, really, it really does help move the legislation when yeah. local people, local businesses, organizations step up and say this is something they need and something that they want. Okay.
that's helpful information. That's good to know. Yeah, no, I mean, we, I didn't pass this legislation in, in, you know, 43 different states alone. I did it in yeah. partnership with, yeah. with companies, um, you know, company, company voice, companies' voices are really the most powerful tool in state legislatures. You know, state senators, state representatives really care what employees in their districts want. And so I, if, if I had a message to um, small businesses throughout the country, I would say get involved in your state politics because mm. you have the power to affect change. More so than any individual, a business has the ability to speak out on issues that they care about. And they should be because they are, they are employees, they are users and, and, you know, of the environment and society and infrastructure, and they can have a really powerful voice. Yeah, businesses touch a lot more uh, parts of our society and world, more than just like one individual person. So yeah, mm -hmm. that makes so much sense. Uh, my last question, just wrap this whole thing up. Um, in the effort to build a more equitable and sustainable future, how important is this legislation? Like what level of importance would you put this at? I think it's really important. I mean, you know, it, there's so much in the news today about, about stakeholder capitalism, about, you know, racial equity, about employee um, ownership. There's just like all of this stuff in the news, but, and, and also about how like companies are stepping up and saying they're doing more, like they're mm -hmm. committing to doing more, they're saying they're doing more, they're making climate commitments, net zero commitments, all of this stuff, right? But there's still, for the most part, subject to the shareholder primacy paradigm. Yeah. They're, they're going to be forced to abandon these goals if they don't prove beneficial to the shareholders. Yeah. Um, and they're still going to be focused on short-term profit maximization. Um, and so I think if, if we want business to be part of the solution, to help us solve the like grave challenges that we face as a society, we need them to get out of this mindset of shareholder primacy. We need them to start valuing the impact they have on stakeholders on par with shareholders. Yeah. So I think this is, you know, incredibly important to help move the economy towards, you know, a form that will work for everyone. Yeah. Well, thank you for your work doing that because it's definitely not easy, but I'm sure it's really rewarding. And it is. It's super, super rewarding. Yeah. I can only imagine just the people that you're connected with. It would be really an interesting and exciting job. Yeah, I mean, it's politics, right? So some, sometimes you have to work with people yeah. that you're not too happy to work with, but you bite your tongue and, and you partner with them because that's how you get things done. Yeah, amen. <laughs> All righty, well, thank you for taking the time to jump on. Super insightful conversation. No thank problem. It was wonderful to speak with you. That is all for this month's episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you for listening. And remember, good biz matters and to be a good ancestor.